Darkness is 100% spiritual and therefore can affect our mental, emotional, and physical. Darkness is a highly coordinated attack of those who oppose the light, capital L, and all who seek to stand in it. It's essential as a Christ follower to know how God talks. Here's why. Because God's voice isn't the only voice we hear. There are other voices. How do I overcome the darkness? This is where we're going to pin our shoulders back and get a little bit of that spiritual swagger. I don't care how dark it seems in your world right now. Let there be light. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Leader's Cut. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the conversation. Here at TLC, we endeavor to pull up a seat at the table. You, me, and the God of the universe. Because if he doesn't pull up a seat at the table, then what in the world are we doing even trying to have this conversation? You know what I'm saying? We are covering something today that is weighty. And I know you probably saw two things that, can I just say, I'm proud of you for pressing play after you saw these two things. You saw that this is one of the longer episodes. We're going to cover some ground on this episode. But you also saw we're talking about darkness. And before I pray, I just want to kind of speak to anybody presently experiencing some darkness. We're going to talk about what it is, uh, how it gets worse, how to overcome it, all that stuff. But listen to me. Because I know all of us at some point have experienced a moment or those seasons where darkness sweeps in. And it feels almost debilitating. And I want you to know, I feel like the Lord sent me on assignment. I've only been able to spend about six hours writing this. And it came really fast, but I felt the Lord give me a burden saying, Preston, the last time you and Tim talked about the cloud of darkness, I gave you a burden to rescue. This episode, I want you to relay a roadmap that I'm giving you where they can learn how to be rescued. We don't rescue ourselves. God rescues us. But there are steps we must take to see the darkness flee and to be put at bay. So here's what I'd ask. If you're experiencing some darkness, even if you have to chop this episode into two or three sittings and pray through it, no matter how long it takes you to get through it, Don't speed your way through this conversation because if you are under a cloud of darkness presently, this is not a game, all right? This is serious. And I believe using God's word, and there are more scriptures in this episode than I have ever put in any episode so far. Because if you're experiencing darkness, my words ain't gonna help you. Only his can do that job. So let's pray as we step into this, because he's not just going to cut in this episode. I believe he's going to set free in this episode. Spirit of the living God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Where you are, there is freedom. And as we were praying before we started recording this episode, I felt you lifting up my feet, reminding me. We've been given the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, but also you were the one who lifts our feet 
and sets them on high places. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would set the captives free in and through this episode in Jesus' name. This isn't some show. This isn't some taping. This isn't some attempt to get views. This is a message in a bottle. And God, I pray that you would send it wherever you want it to go. Holy Spirit, would you convict us in this episode? Because we're going to be talking about sin. Satan's favorite thing is sin. Holy Spirit, would you convict us as we navigate those conversations? Would you cut on our flesh to make more room for you? But would you also hold each of us by the hand and walk us out from underneath the darkness? And may we hear the breath of God over our heads blowing the darkness away. Holy Spirit, please speak. We're here to listen. Not to Preston, to you. We yield ourselves now. Take us wherever you want. Teach us what we must know, which we do not yet know. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's do this thing. I don't want you, if you're presently experiencing darkness, all right, I don't want you to be hesitant about this conversation. I'm asking you to become aggressive about this conversation and in the midst of this conversation, all right? So I'm going to give you some questions that we're going to answer. Pull up a chair, literally. Uh, grab something to eat. I, I hope you have something to take notes with because we're going to do some work in this episode, all right? Question number one, if we're going to understand the darkness and how to make it flee, question number one is, where does darkness come from? Here's the short answer, the devil. <laughs> the, the slightly longer answer is, the devil is the king of darkness. Acts chapter 26, verse 18, it's the middle of a sentence, but I'm going to draw your attention to what it's helping us see. Uh, to open their eyes in order to turn them away from darkness to light. This is speaking of the lost uh, and through Jesus. I don't need to explain this, but watch how it connects. From darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So when we get saved, we are turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all, scripture says. Darkness equated to Satan and the power of Satan. Light equated and connected to God. All right? Darkness comes from the devil. I'll show you a little bit more. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is really good news, but it's also teaching us. God rescues us from where? Not just unrepentant sin. He rescues us from a kingdom, a lowercase k kingdom. What type of kingdom? A kingdom of darkness, a spiritual kingdom of darkness. 
And at salvation, God transfers us into the capital K kingdom of his dear son, Jesus. Here's the deal. If you do not associate the devil with the darkness you're experiencing, you will most likely minimize sin and mistakenly misjudge Satan and miscalculate Satan's movements. If you see darkness as purely emotional or mental, because that's what a lot of people think, well, I'm just depressed. I'm just feeling heavy. I'm just up under it. And listen, I know that involves our emotions and our minds. But if you see darkness as purely emotional or mental, you will seek to find the right pill rather than seek to walk in power. Please hear my heart. I'm not coming at anybody who is using some medicine that their doctors have prescribed. Uh, and, and I don't want to go too far down that road, but I'm, I, please hear my heart. I'm not anti-doctor, anti-medicine. What I'm talking about is your perspective. If you think the darkness you are experiencing right now is because you are up under it emotionally or mentally, you're going to mistake the devil for not being in the equation And you will think it's just some physical thing that if you just find the right pill, everything will be fine. You cannot win a spiritual battle with a physical prescription. Darkness is 100% spiritual and therefore can affect our mental, emotional, and physical but it is spiritual before it's anything else. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 shows us this is not a physical thing we're talking about. Darkness is not a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. Yes, there's such a thing as physical darkness. We're not talking about physical darkness. If it were that simple, you just flip the light on. But many of us, I would say this, all of us, who are up under a cloud of darkness right now, don't even feel safe in a lit room. So this ain't about physical light or darkness. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay, typically when I quote that verse, I just say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the unseen world. That's actually not the entirety of the verse. We we are actually fighting against the rulers of the darkness. Spiritual hosts. Another, Another word for that, demons. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is war. Now, I know when I talk about spiritual warfare, when pastors talk about spiritual warfare, some people are like, we talk about, we should talk about Jesus and never talk about the enemy. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And if you go do a study on the life of Jesus during his three-year run of ministry on the earth, you're going to see Jesus never backed down from demons and encountered them frequently. Why? Because one of the reasons he came was to set the captive free. 
Listen, if I was the devil, I would try and convince you that spiritual warfare isn't real and neither am I. Think about it. Whose voice? If if you're hearing a voice right now that's saying spiritual warfare isn't real, whose voice is telling you warfare isn't real? I promise you this, it isn't God's. (laughs) It's Satan's. And if I was the devil, that's exactly what I would try and get you to do. I, I would try and whisper to you right now. Preston's dumb. Preston doesn't know what he's talking about. Preston's just trying to get you all riled up. Do you think that's how God talks? It's a genius move by the enemy to try and get mankind, and especially believers, convinced that spiritual warfare isn't even real. That's why Ephesians 6 is so important. This isn't a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle in a realm we cannot see. See, because many of us, because we can't see it, many of us just assume that means it isn't real. Trust me. Trust God's word. Spiritual warfare is real. Now, I I know that one of the reasons why some of us, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we don't want to hear about it is because it overwhelms us. We, we, We don't yet know how to handle the spiritual warfare, not just the conversation, but the actual battle. That's what this whole episode is about. It's to bring the light into the darkness you're presently experiencing. And you don't need to be overwhelmed by a conversation about spiritual warfare. But you do need to be aware. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Again, another in the middle of a sentence run says, Lest Satan should take advantage of you, for we are not, this is actually a passage on unforgiveness, uh, but it shows us a principle about Satan. If we are ignorant of Satan's devices, he'll take advantage of us. That, that's the way to see this passage. Satan will take advantage of us when we are ignorant of his devices. That's what 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says. Now, One of the things that can come with spiritual darkness is captivity. When the enemy tries to come in and to make us his captive, he tries to come in and not just occupy territory, but take it over and make it his, whether it be part of our mind, part of our heart, part of our will or emotions. And here's what Isaiah 5.13 reminds us. God says, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. I, I will admit, before some of my mentors helped me understand spiritual warfare, uh, I didn't take it that seriously. And I was experiencing attacks that I didn't even know were attacks. I just kind of called it, you know, a tough season. No, I was actually at war spiritually and didn't even know it. You want to know the fastest way to be, to to lose a spiritual battle? It's to not even know you're in it. That was me. And that might be you. So here's how I want you to see this entire conversation. All right. Because I'm just trying to calibrate you with, with question number one. I want you to imagine that I was your dad. Because this is definitely a big brother type episode. Imagine I was your dad and we were living in the Ukraine 
and I had grown up there my whole life, let's say for 50 to 60 years. And in the middle of war, um, one of the things at play are minefields. And because I've lived five to six decades in this land, I know where the minefields are. They've been there from previous wars. And this episode is like me telling you where they are. All right. But there are two ways I can keep you away from the minefields. I can either use fear or I can use wisdom. Okay. So if I were using fear as your father, because I didn't want you to go near the minefields, here's what I would do. The minefields can kill you. Stay away from the minefields. They'll blow your arms off. Blow your left. I would get very descriptive and try to scare you to keep you away from danger. But there's actually a better way than using fear, using wisdom. And wisdom says, hey, there are some minefields out there, but you don't need to be afraid of them. I'm going to show you where they are. And as long as you stay away from them, you never have to be afraid of stepping on a, a mine in one of these minefields. If I gave you a roadmap for where the minefields are, rather than try and freak you out to keep you from not even going outside, because listen, that is one of the approaches some people take to spiritual warfare. They hide. That's not what we're called to as sons and daughters of God most high. We're called to get out. We got to get out and be a light. So I'm not trying to scare you into hiding. I'm actually using God's word, trying to give you a roadmap so you know where the minefields are and know how to stay away from them. Okay. And remember, if you're someone who is prone to being overwhelmed with fear, as it relates to spiritual warfare, let me remind you of something. Never be scared of an enemy who isn't even the size of a grasshopper in comparison to your God. Let's make sure we keep the right, the proper perspective. Because I've battled a spirit of fear before in the past, and I get it, it can, it can feel overwhelming. We must never be scared of an enemy who isn't even the size of a grasshopper in comparison to our God. Now, as we go into this conversation a little bit further, I want you to remember this, all right? This is one of the one-liners I do not want you to forget. There are two ways darkness typically invades. Slowly like a drip and quickly like a flood. Darkness typically invades our lives slowly like a drip, and that's through sin, and quickly like a flood, and that's through Satan or from Satan, all right? And we're going to talk about both in this episode. Uh, I love you so much, and if you are battling darkness, I'm just in my spirit, I'm praying through this whole episode, and I'm telling you right now, I believe by the power of the Spirit of God who has all power in heaven and on earth. By the end of this episode, I believe some supernatural things are going to happen in your life. And don't be surprised if wherever you are right now, 
you begin to feel the spirit of the living God pushing in on you in a way you haven't felt in a while. That is how hard God rolls. When the darkness creeps in and we begin to turn the light on, our God doesn't just reign. He always reigns. He stands tall above the darkness. And when he walks into the room, the darkness starts to run. So don't believe the lie of the enemy as we navigate this over the next, I don't know how long this is going to take, maybe an hour and a half. Don't you dare listen to the enemy trying to scare you into turning this off. All right. This conversation ain't about views. It's about enforcing victory. All right. Question number two. In this very fun conversation, who would have thought a conversation about darkness could ever be fun? When you walk with and in the light, we're going to talk about that later, even a conversation about darkness doesn't scare you. Question number two, why is darkness the devil's thing? If question number one is where does darkness come from, and the answer is the devil, question number two, why is darkness the devil's thing? I'm going to give you two reasons. I could have given you more, but we'd, we'd have been here all day. First reason that darkness is the devil's thing is this. It's easier to attack in the dark. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion. We're going to come back to that word roaring later. Watch what he's doing. His goal. He's seeking whom he may devour. His goal is to devour. The easiest place for the devil to devour is in the dark. Think about it. This is just common sense. And this is part of what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and kind of poke holes because the enemy has, has done it with me, is probably trying to do it with you. He tries to act like he's so smart. Now, he's not dumb. But he doesn't know everything the way our God does. And he most certainly doesn't know the end from the beginning. Only our God has all knowledge. His enemy definitely does not. So just think about this. Okay, this is just common sense. The easiest place for the devil is to devour in the dark. If you were attacking a powerful enemy, would you do it head on in the day? Or would you do it from behind in the dark? I used to think Satan's favorite way to attack was through my blind spots. I've taught this. I've taught, know, know the angles by which the enemy loves to come at you. And because I've taught this, one of the things I've done in the past is station trusted friends in my lives to help watch with me. Jesus said, be alert, stay on watch, Preston. So, so because I've just always thought Blind spots were Satan's favorite way to attack me. I stationed trusted friends in my life to help watch with me. But you know what happened? I still experienced darkness. Here's why. Satan's favorite way to attack isn't a blind spot. His favorite way to attack is a dark space. Yes, Satan attacks us through our blind spots. And so we must do something about them. But his favorite way to attack is in the darkness. The easiest way for the devil to devour is in the dark. Here's how I want you to see darkness, all right? 
to kind of put another brick on top of what we're building to help you see that this darkness is not just a relational, uh, uh, an emotional or mental or physical issue. Here's how I want you to see darkness. Darkness is a highly coordinated attack of those who oppose the light, capital L, and all who seek to stand in it. When you experience darkness, and if you are experiencing heavy darkness right now, and listen, spiritual darkness, you can feel. Just like you can feel the tangible presence of God moving in closer to you, we can also feel the tangible heaviness of spiritual darkness. It's weighty. It's weighty. My personal uh, thought on this is, we talked about this in a previous episode, the kavod of God, the glory, the weightiness of God. I think the enemy tries to bring a spirit of heaviness because he's trying to pretend to be God. God brings a weightiness that is good. Satan brings a heaviness, which is bad. That heaviness is spiritual darkness. Why? Because the devil loves the dark because it's the easiest place to devour those who seek to stand in and with the light. Here's another reason, though, why darkness is the devil's thing. Because it can seem hard to see Jesus in the dark. It can seem hard to see Jesus when you feel covered up in darkness. And I know Jesus is the light of life. But isn't it amazing that we could ever feel we are in such a dark place that, that not only can we not see anything, it doesn't even feel like we can see Jesus. I have been there. I have walked with many who have been there as well. Second Corinthians chapter four shows us Satan's strategy using the darkness to try and get us from seeing Jesus. Verse three, even if our gospel is veiled. So this, this passage, again, I'm, I don't have the time to give you all the context. So please hear me. I'm not trying to take scriptures out of context, but if I gave you all of the, the pre and post uh, contextual scriptures, we would be here for more than a day, okay? So this is the middle of a conversation talking about the veil over those who have not yet uh, been saved. So if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, the lowercase g, God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What is this passage helping us understand? That one of the reasons the lowercase k, king of darkness, tries to bring in darkness is to blind man from seeing Jesus, from seeing God, from seeing the Spirit of God. Satan's number one goal is to separate man from God. This is the big why 
behind Satan using a veil to blind man from seeing Jesus, the light of life. Because Satan's number one goal is to separate man from God. Now, the question is, why? (laughs) Well, Satan's number one goal is to separate man from God because God's number one desire is man. Let me say that again. Satan's number one goal is to separate man from God because God's number one desire is man. Some of my most intimate seasons with God have coincided with some of my hardest seasons of attack. Never forget why. I didn't understand this until I had experienced it a little bit. The why, simple. The devil hates intimate proximity to God. I, I honestly believe that many people, you know, when I'm filming this, it's the, the first week of February. So we just made it through the, the first month of the new year. Many people endeavor at the beginning of January to draw near to God. So they may uh, start reading through the Bible. They may spend more time in prayer. They may start a devotional. Uh, Many people try to get closer to God for 30 days, but because they don't understand Satan's response, when they experience increased attack, they quit pursuing the one protecting them. See, I I didn't understand this principle. Now, the more I draw near to God, I, I, I get it. Like every time I endeavor to draw near to God, I remember Satan hates my intimate proximity to God. So every time I endeavor to draw near to God, the enemy is going to try even harder to come between me and God. And in a dark room, it's hard to see who else is in the room. The first step to separating man from God is getting man not to see God. Please let me remind you if you are presently experiencing darkness. No matter how dark it seems like things are right now, no matter how dark life seems and feels to be right now, please hear me. I know the room is dark. That does not mean Jesus isn't in it. But no, when you say in your heart, you know what? In this season of my life, I'm drawn even nearer to God than ever before. I'm not speaking a curse over you. I'm telling you typically what the devil's response is. But we don't need to get all worked up about it. It just is what it is. I don't need to be bothered by it. I'll walk with the one who is going to crush him with the breath of his mouth with literally the light of his appearance. We good. But we also have to acknowledge there are seasons when the enemy tries to push in so much darkness that it might make us feel we are far from God, even though he is still near. Remember why he's doing it, because his number one goal is to separate man from God. That brings us to question number three. How does darkness enter 
How does darkness sweep in? Here's the answer. Open doors. Open doors. An open door is like a legal right to access. Remember, demons are spirits without a body. Okay? They are evil spirits without a body. They are looking for places to access, a place to rest. An op- a, an, a spiritual open door is like a legal right, granting a legal right to access. I know when we hear this, many of us think of two things. First, we think, Psh, I ain't letting the enemy in. But we do it all the time. And you're going to see how we do it. And, and some of us didn't even know we were opening doors when we were doing these things. But the other thing some of us might be thinking is, wait, 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 wait a minute, Preston. You're going theological on me. That's what you're doing. And you're thinking, how can Satan have legal right if Jesus gave us legal authority over the enemy? First, love it when you get theological. Second, let me answer your great question. Easy. Open doors are when the believer puts down the authority. I 100% agree that Jesus is clear in scripture. I've given you the authority to walk among and trample upon snakes and scorpions, which are type and shadow of demonic spirits. Okay. But having said that, does every believer walk in the full measure of that authority at all times, no matter what? Here's the answer. No. No. We're broken humans, imperfect beings in a fallen world. And even with the authority Jesus has given us as his disciples, we still are prone to lay down that authority from time to time. Now, before I read you Matthew 12, to give you uh, a picture of this and the verbiage for this, let me say this to my friends who may not be charismatic. Shout out to you if you're a part of this conversation and we see parts of scripture a little bit differently. I got lots of friends on the other side of the aisle. Let me just say this. uh, Open doors aren't a charismatic teaching. They are what the Bible teaches. So please, and I know you wouldn't be in this conversation if you were, um, you know, most likely you wouldn't be in this conversation if you're wanting to antagonize. But, but some might think, oh, open doors for the devil. That's a charismatic belief. No, no, no. No, that's a biblical truth. Open doors are a biblical truth, not a charismatic idea. All right. Or, or charismatic dogma. Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bible, you can read this with me because it, it would be great for you to see this in your own Bible, not just on the screen. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and he finds none. Okay, remember, so when I said demons are spirits without bodies. This is in part one of the verses where 
we learn that from, okay? An unclean spirit goes out of a man. He goes all over looking for a place to rest, but he can't find a place. Then the unclean spirit says, I'll return to my house, the person from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Watch this. And they enter. Question before I read the rest of this passage. Ever seen a sign above a door? You're probably seeing one of two signs. Enter or exit. This is what we do with doors. We enter them. And when we want to leave the room, we use the door to exit the room. This, we didn't just make this open door concept up. This is taught by scripture. This is not just taught by theologians and, and those who've written commentaries and, and the great pastors on the earth. The reason they teach it is because the Bible does. Open doors are a biblical truth not just a concept. Evil spirits enter through open doors and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be also with this wicked generation. Okay, I just love the Bible, all right? Because God first, he's not the author of confusion. He doesn't want us confused. And so he's given us his word as a roadmap for the abundant life Jesus came to give us. We cannot live the abundant life apart from the word of God. Scripture helps us understand that unclean spirits are looking for a place to rest, but in order to dwell in a place where they can rest, they have to first enter through an open door. So let's spend some time talking about open doors. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list, but th these were just the things I felt the Lord give me a burden for to put on the list, all right? This is getting even more fun. See, this is not dark. Maybe you thought this conversation would be dark when you saw darkness in the thumbnail. This is not a dark conversation. We're using God's word the lamp unto our feet. We're going to get to that. But let's just walk through it. What are some open doors for the enemy to walk through? First, we got to talk about sin. If I were just going to give one, this would be it. Some of the others I'm going to give you are, are the ones off the radar that uh, in ignorance, many of us leave open. But this one right here, if I was only going to talk to you about one open door, this would be it, sin. Remember in Genesis 4, Cain is frustrated with God and it leads to Cain murdering his brother Abel. Remember that? Okay, let me show you the middle of the conversation where God is speaking to Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, God says, why are you so angry, Cain? Why do you look so dejected? 
you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. This is a fascinating verse. Sin, and this, the original language, it, you would think because there's a posture that it would have to be a person. And because sin isn't a person, okay, the original language does in fact, this is not an NLT thing or an NKJV thing or an ESV thing. This is the original language. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Notice that. Open doors are serious because an open door for the enemy can lead to control. Being under the influence of is the way I was taught. Sin is crouching at your door. If you don't do what's right, you must subdue it and be its master. Another fascinating part of this verse, God's helping us understand. I'll personalize it just like I want you to. Sin is something we can subdue. The flesh is something we can subdue. We can make sin our slave. As slaves of Christ. And not the bad kind of slave. As ones who are under his complete authority because he is our Lord, not just our Savior. Because he's my master, I can actually make sin my master, I can subdue my flesh. So for those of us who walk around going, well, this is just something I'm going to struggle with my whole life. Well, just because it might be something you struggle with doesn't mean it has to be something that controls you. But stick with the picture, all right? See this picture? God's saying to Cain. Now, Cain, this is Preston's paraphrase, Cain, you're thinking about doing something you know is wrong. I see that look in your eyes. You're thinking about killing your brother. You're jealous of him. Because you're jealous of him, you're angry with him. And because you're giving vent to your anger, you're thinking about killing him. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. You'll be okay. But if you refuse to do what is right, that's sin. God says, watch out. Sin is actually crouching. So get the picture. Sin crouching. The Hebrew word translated as crouching can indicate lying down. In fact, some translations say lying. But, but I, I want you to, to get a much clearer picture. The picture isn't lying down just to rest. It can be used for that. But it's not being used for that meaning in this particular passage. Right, Because the Hebrew word translated as crouching also refers to lying in wait like a predator lurking its prey. The same verb is associated with an ancient Hebrew term for demons. These demons were believed to guard entrances or doorways to buildings. So here's the picture of sin the Bible paints for us. Sin is as a demonic presence or a predatory animal waiting to pounce. This is a much clearer picture of sin than simply wrongdoing. 
God isn't just saying sin is the act of doing wrong. God is painting a picture of what happens when I sin. It opens a door for sin and, and the one who loves sin, Satan, who is lurking in the shadows, seeking someone he may devour. And sin opens the door for a bigger fight. Every time I sin, here's what it's like. It's like opening all the doors in my house to the outside world before I go to bed. I want you to think about this. Sin is like opening every door, okay? But not just opening every door to the outside of your house. It's also like putting an ad on the dark interweb that you have millions in valuables and all your doors are wide open all night tonight. You think anybody will take you up on that? Of course they probably will. Why? Because there's evil in the world. This is what sin is like. It's like literally open all the doors in, a, in an area of my life and then inviting those who are evil to come mess with me. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to teach you. This is really important to understand. I'm not trying to keep you up at night. I want you to see this in scripture. I'm not trying to scare you, okay? I'm trying to teach you, but you might be a little bit scared. Paul addressed something similar to this in his letter to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, listen, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while, but now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to show you God's word. I'm trying to help you understand the power of sin. Sin is not some little game like, like hopscotch. Sin is the act of opening the door for the one who is crouching. just looking for someone to devour. Here's another way we open the door for the enemy. And you might not see this one coming, unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11 say, Now whom you forgive, Paul's saying, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive as your oversight. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one, he gets semi-specific, for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest, here's the why, Satan should take advantage of us. Notice, Paul says, if we don't forgive, here's what's going to happen. Satan has legal claim to come in and take advantage of us. I am not making this up. This is God's word, word for word. Unforgiveness opens the door for Satan to mess with us. How can Satan take advantage of us through unforgiveness? Here's the answer. Because forgiveness is a Jesus thing. Which means if, if forgiveness is a Jesus thing, unforgiveness is an anti-Christ thing. 
Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave me of my sins. Forgiveness is a Jesus thing. It's a God thing. And here's the picture. When I forgive as God forgives in Christ, I stand with Jesus. I stand with the Lord. But when I reject forgiving, I stand with the one who opposes Jesus. Okay, listen. If you're struggling with unforgiveness right now, I know it's, it's not easy. I know they hurt you. I know you want to respond. I, I get it. You want to take them out. You feel all the feelings. You want to use all the words. But before you hold on to this unforgiveness much longer, what would it change if you remembered as long as you choose unforgiveness, you leave the door open for the enemy to sweep in. It is raining so hard right now in the desert. You might hear it. I absolutely love when it rains in the desert. Our God is the God who brings the water into the dry places. I hope it, it rains through this entire episode, Lord. And maybe you, in unforgiveness, are crying your eyes out some nights. I get it. And it seems like it's the, the best thing to do. It makes you feel good. Can I tell you what's making you feel good in the midst of unforgiveness? Unforgiveness isn't making you feel good. The one who loves unforgiveness is making you feel good. The enemy. I get it. We say this all the time. I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying it's worth it. To walk in unforgiveness is to keep a door open for the enemy. To have legal claim as well as personal access to a part of my heart and to my life. Here's another way we open the door for the enemy, curses. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's serious. Death can be in the power of my tongue. I can cause death. Now, is that just physical death? No, no, no. I don't even know that it's at all physical death, although it might in some cases. Here's what I would say. It can cause emotional death. It can cause relational death. It can cause spiritual death, most definitely. 
scripture helps us see. And there are two types of curses typically spoken. Those which are knowingly spoken and those which are unknowingly spoken. These are the two types of curses, all right? Let me try and help you understand the difference between the two. Curses which are spoken knowingly sound like this. I hope this is the worst year of their life. Here's another example. These are just examples. I wish they would lose their job. Kind of hear the, the, the verbiage, I hope, and then there's something negative, I wish, and there's something negative. These are intentional curses. Now, here's the hard part of this. I want you to see a, a, knowing, a knowingly spoken curse like this. It's like writing a legal document for the enemy to go mess with somebody. The enemy is seeking for someone to devour. And when you say, I hope things get so much worse for them this year, it's like you write it out and the enemy goes, whoop, I'll take that. I'll go right to them and start messing with them. This in part is what death and life is in the power of my and your tongue. Let me give you some examples of curses spoken unknowingly. They sound like this. Uh, and I'll, I, this is something I think parents uh, do semi-occasionally or even occasionally without even realizing it's what they're doing. So I'm going to use these examples because uh, they... They seem to be some of the most consistent one, ones uh, we make. When you hear about father wound, okay, that's a term we hear a lot. A lot of the time, uh, father wounds are connected to curses spoken unknowingly and some knowingly. Unknowingly spoken curses kind of sound like this. You make the most stupid decisions. Or how about this? You Always screw things up. Ever heard somebody speak like that to you? Here's what you have to know. It's a curse. That's a curse. And I'm not speaking ill of that person. I'm trying to illuminate what, what was happening in that moment so that then when I teach you what to do with it here in a sec, it will make sense to you. All right? These blanket statements, these blanket negative statements we make over people are actually curses, not just commentary. But let me show you another example that's really important to understand. Another example of curses spoken unknowingly. They're the curses we speak over ourselves. Curses like this. We've been waiting to get married for a really long time. And we say out loud, I'm never going to get married. We've been waiting to get pregnant for a long time. We're never going to get pregnant. I don't walk around on eggshells. Be careful what I say. No, no, I'm just aware. And I want the Holy Spirit to convict me when I speak curses which are spoken knowingly or and especially unknowingly. Oftentimes, the curses spoken by ourselves, over ourselves, 
are the most dangerous ones because they are the ones we are most ignorant of. Now, if no one's ever taught you this before, one of my mentors taught me this many years ago, and I do this, I won't say every day, but most days in prayer, I do what I'm about to tell you to do. And it is a prayer, all right? Um, but it, it's a powerful prayer, and I would say it's a legal prayer because curses are in part a spiritually legal thing then we need to deal with them spiritually not emotionally not just relationally we need to deal with them spiritually they might have come relationally but we need to deal with them spiritually because curses are not commentary all right they are spiritual they are death proclamations so to speak so here's what we do um and i i I don't get riled up when i do this there are just times i'll be praying over someone i love and this is what i pray i break and sever every word curse and spell which has been spoken knowingly or unknowingly over and fill in the blank over my wife in jesus name god i break and sever every word curse and spell spoken knowingly or unknowingly over my daughter in Jesus name. See, it's, it's that simple. Okay. That's our part. But what we're saying is God, I disagree with this death proclamation, whether it was the, the death of a future, whether it was the, the death of a relationship, whether it was the death of progress, whether it was the death of, of whatever, when we break and sever every word, curse, and spell in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, God, I disagree with this, and I know you do too. And so I am standing in the authority Jesus gave me, and I am speaking in the name of Jesus to break off every assignment. That's also something I do. I also will throw in there, and I cancel every assignment against, fill in the blank, my wife, in Jesus' name. Because the word curse or spell spoken against me creates an assignment against me. So I break into every, every word, curse, and spell, and then I cancel every assignment against me in Jesus' name. It's that simple. All right? But remember, we most certainly can open doors. And these are just a few of the ways that we open doors. All right? Take it from me. An open door is never worth whatever we thought we would get. Because whatever we thought we would get by doing what opened the door, what comes through the door, is many times worse than whatever we thought the act would bring us in good. Here's the fourth question. What does darkness sound like? What does the darkness sound like? Because most certainly the darkness has a sound. I've counseled with a lot of people uh, who have navigated some really dark darkness and there are commonalities. And one of the things which is common is this, voices. What does the darkness sound like? Voices. Oftentimes, many voices. 
well, what are the voices saying? And and this was fun is the wrong word, but this was um, quite the journey as I was walking through this and was it, it really opened my eyes and reminded me what the voice of the enemy sounds like. You hear me from time to time say that's not how God talks. It's essential as a Christ follower to know how God talks. Here's why. Because God's voice isn't the only voice we hear. There are other voices. Remember, demons are spirits without a body. Okay, these spirits have voices. How do they speak? To help you understand uh, how God's enemy speaks, I'm going to lay out four things, four ways um, the darkness talks. All right. First, false promises. False promises. If you're hearing voices which are making false promises, it's the voice of darkness. A demon of darkness, the king of darkness, lowercase k. Here's what a false promise is, and I'm going to show this to you in Scripture. That This is exactly what Satan does. A false promise is when Satan attaches a good outcome to a bad behavior. Remember Matthew chapter 4? Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. Look at verse 8. At this moment, in the back and forth, so to speak, between the devil and Jesus. Again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the lowercase k kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, All these things, all these good things which you see, I will give you if you fall down and worship me. I hope you're seeing this. And some of you are already thinking, wait a minute. Satan's trying to get Jesus to sin. You're exactly right. Because Jesus responds to Satan, quoting the Ten Commandments. He says, you, you know it's sin to worship anything or any other God other than the one true God. Satan is trying to attach a good outcome to a bad behavior. You could say it. Satan's trying to attach a perceived blessing to a guaranteed sin. This is a false promise. Buddy, sister, you, you hearing that, that voice? I promise you're hearing some false promises from the voices in the darkness. And they kind of sound like this. Just drink one more. Then you'll be relaxed. Then is a promise word. If then is, is a promissory statement when the devil uses it. If you just drink one more, then you'll be relaxed. False promise. If you just sleep with him, then you'll find love. False promise. If you just cover it up, then you won't get in trouble. Let me remind you, the promises of Satan 
are lies. They're false. Promises of God are not. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Christ, amen. The promises of God are yes and amen. Scripture's clear on that. And Satan will try and convince you that his promises are yes and amen. Amen means let it be. Satan will try and convince you his promises are yes and amen too. Lies. God's promises are yes and let it be so. Satan's promises are no's and never will be's. If you are hearing false promises in your head and they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger, the darkness is getting darker and darker and darker. Here's the next way uh, the darkness talks with lies. Lies. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible exposes Satan's entire playbook. It's one of the reasons I love this book. Go all the way back to the garden. First time we see Satan on record talking. What does he say? First, he starts off saying to Eve, did God really say? One of Satan's favorite things is to get us to question the truth. Why do you think he's so excited about all this deconstructionism going around these days? One of Satan's favorite things is getting us to walk away from the truth. To question what God said, which is always the truth, because he is the truth. Satan says in the garden, did God really say that you would die if you wouldn't eat that? Eve says, oh, yes. That's what God said. Let me read you how Satan responds to Eve in Genesis 3, verse 4. Satan says, you won't die. Know what that's called? A lie. Thank God he shows us the enemy's playbook. The darkness always lies. When you are hearing voices which tell you lies, it's not how God talks. God is literally incapable of lying. But Jesus helps us understand in the New Testament, in John chapter 8, that not only does Satan lie, it's much bigger than that. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, when Satan lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, Preston, what are, what are some examples of the types of lies we hear? Um, I think one of the most dangerous lies you will ever hear are the lies you will hear Satan tell you about you. Now we're going to get to accusations next. There's a difference between lies and accusations. Lies from the enemy to you, about you, are typically blanket statements. 
And one of, I think, the bigger lies that many people hear in the darkness is this lie. You're a failure. I just met yesterday with a dear friend, successful friend, done some savage stuff in a dark spot right now. The darkness is trying to overtake him. And the number one thing he's hearing is you're a failure. Want to know what you are? A failure. Please, if you're hearing that voice, please allow me to remind you that voice can never be God. Here's why. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That lie is a condemning lie. You are a failure. You are a horrible father. If God's going to talk to you about, or, or me, I'll personalize it about me not being the father I need to be. Even when there's conviction, he's still going to be sweet. Even if he's upset with me, he's not going to condemn me. According to Romans 8 verse 1, as his child, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. Jesus took my condemnation on the cross when he was crucified. If you're hearing the lies, those blanket statements, you're a failure. Have I failed? Sure. Does this make me a failure? No. Would God ever call me a failure? Never. Listen, my capital D daddy, I, I've experienced him cheering in the stands when I strike out in the batter's box. Saying, way to go, son. <laughs> when the other team is saying, you're a loser. You're a failure. You suck. My daddy doesn't talk like that. But his enemy does. You're a failure. Here's what you need to do when you hear those voices. Call them as they are. That's a lie. And I fully expect lies to come from the father of lies and those who run with him. But I will not receive your lie and make it my truth. And brings us to accusations. One of the voices you will hear in the darkness, accusations. Satan's accusations are based on the truth of my ugly past and present. Okay, lies are when he tries to create the commentary about my life. Accusations are when he takes moments from my life, typically sinful moments from my life, and brings them back up to me as accusations. Let me show you. Uh, scripture teaches us this is how he rolls. Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, brethren being believers, who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down. I didn't make this up. God's the one who goes on record and says, Preston, let me show you 
what my enemy does with you. He accuses you. And so oftentimes, to the, the extent you sense the darkness is the extent to which you will hear the accusations. And understand how this works. Satan's accusations against you in the presence of God are designed to get God to see you as unworthy. Several times in scripture, we see Satan accusing someone before God. Those accusations are designed to get God to see the person as unworthy. Whereas Satan's accusations against you to your face are designed to get you to believe you are unworthy of the presence of God and the love of God. Satan accuses me before God to try and get God to say Preston is unworthy. Satan accuses me to my face to try and get me to believe I'm unworthy of being in the presence of God and receiving the love of God. Billion dollar question, so how do you respond? Here's my advice. Don't look at the accusations. Look to Jesus. Because remember, the accusations are truths. They're not lies. When Satan goes to God and says, Preston is a liar. Unfortunately, he's not lying. There, were, there, was, there was a period of years in my life, late teens, up to like 21, 22 maybe, 23, I don't know, where I was absolutely, I had to be one of the best liars on the planet. And probably went earlier than that. It was my mid-teens where it started. And it just got worse and worse. In early college, it was awful. His accusations are true. Preston is a liar. I am. But rather than look at the accusation and go, such a liar. How could I ever preach? How could I ever proclaim the truth of God when I'm a liar? I was the worst liar of them all. The answer is, don't look at the accusation. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, I can either look at my accusation, which Satan tries to throw in my face in the darkness, or I can look to Jesus. Where is Jesus? Absence of shame. When Satan brings accusations, he's hoping we will heap shame upon ourselves. Don't you love the passage I just read to you says, Jesus despised the shame. Oh, you ain't heaping shame on him. He is at the right hand of the Father right now. No shame. Even though he took mine from me. He didn't keep it. He despised that shame. He dealt with it. Here's another way to say this. When Satan points at your crap, point him to the cross. Sorry if I offended you by using that word, but I had to use C word just so it clicked with cross. He does this all the time. Satan tries to bring up our crap from the past. Because you did this, you are this. That's an accusation. You're a failure. You're this. You're that. You're a liar. Yeah, it, it, 
True. True. But in Christ, I have been forgiven by God. And so while I am the Preston who has lied thousands of times, I am also the Preston in Christ who has been forgiven for every single one of those lies he told and ever will tell. And that's why he doesn't want to lie anymore. Because he lied so much. He didn't want to go back to that. Listen, this is one of Satan's low-hanging fruit behaviors. We're broken beings in a fallen world. We're not perfect this side of heaven. And so we make Satan's job easy to point at our crap. But every time Satan points at your crap, point him to the cross. And also, don't forget this one. Satan also hates when he comes to you with accusations. Preston, you're a liar. Satan hates to hear the following words quoting scripture. But God who is rich in mercy and grace. Yes, your accusation against me is true. But I'll tell you what's more true than that accusation. My God, who is rich in mercy and grace and extends immeasurable grace unto me through his son and bestows upon me mercy, not giving me what I do deserve, Based on that accusation you're bringing back up against, Satan hates when we talk like this. Stand on God's word. And when he tries to throw your crap in your face, you throw the cross of Christ right back in his face. I'm covered in the blood. Here's the last voice we hear from the darkness. Threats. Threats. Not going to spend a ton of time here. Uh, But threats from the enemy are designed to instill fear. Why do you think God so strongly goes on record and says, here's, I am love and I am perfect and perfect love. Here's what it does with fear. It casts it out. It violently throws fear out. Why does God go on record and say that? Because one of Satan's favorite things to do with the children of God is try and bring a spirit of fear to mess with us. Satan's goal with a threat is always fear. But here's how we need to see the threats of the enemy. Imagine your house is in the safest electrical fence line in the history of humanity as a child of God. And on the other side of the fence, you have some out there neighbor who's screaming taunts and threats against you. If I'm standing in the most safe yard in the presence of the one who holds the universe up with the power of his word and the fence can electrocute the neighbor if they get too close. This is how I see the threats of the enemy. Never own a threat Satan throws at you. You don't have to. He's just trying to scare you. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. So when we get a spirit of fear, where does it come from? Never God, always the enemy. And fear 
usually starts with threats. And threats are something we typically hear from the voices in the darkness, the darker the darkness gets. But if you're hearing threats right now, and you've been a little afraid, and trust me, I've been there, I have been where you feel you are right now. I'm not coming at you. I'm standing with you. Can I encourage you? Something I've learned, the Lord helped me learn when I was being threatened and I was actually carrying the threats Satan was throwing at me and upon me. Here's what the Lord taught me. Satan only threatens those he feels most threatened by. Now remember, he's not threatened by me in my own strength. He's threatened by me. So I've made a choice to stand next to the one who scares him to death. Satan's threatening you because he feels threatened by you. Because of your decision to stand with the one, capital O, which Satan most opposes. Here's question number five. Can I make the dark worse? Can I make the darkness darker? Like Preston, can I actually make darkness worse? Here's the answer. Most certainly, yes. Here's how I'd say it. There are some fights the devil brings to you. There are other fights you just bring upon yourself. Let me show you how we make the darkness darker or worse. First, by letting your eyes wander. One of the easier ways to make darkness darker is a wandering eye. Let me say it like this. Sin always starts in your heart, but with your eyes. Matthew 6, 22 and 23, Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, Preston, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Darkness starts with my eye. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Preston, it starts with the eye. Let me say it like this. Whatever gets the attention of your eyes will affect the direction of your feet. If you think you can dance with a spirit of lust and not get burned, the more you look in her direction, the darker you're making the darkness. If you think you can battle covetousness, by getting more and more credit cards and thinking this will be your last one, Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just open the letter and read it and see what the interest rate is. I'm not going to get it. I'm just going to look. Yes, sin starts in the heart. It's birth in the heart, but it starts. We step into it, starting with the eye. Here's the next way we can make the darkness darker. And this one's going to seem really obvious, 
but I got to say it anyways. By walking in darkness. By willfully choosing sin. First John chapter 1, verse 5 and 7. This is the message which we have heard from Jesus and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Hey, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, oh yeah, I'm intimate with God, but I'm willfully walking in sin, repetitive, unrepentant sin. Here's what you have to remember. You're making the darkness darker. Walking in darkness makes the dark darker. Here's another way we make the darkness darker by believing the lies. Okay, so when we talked about the voices, we talked about the speaking of lies. But what I didn't talk to you about is believing the lies. Have you ever heard this verse, James chapter four, verse seven? Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some of us might semi-often quote this verse when we feel under attack. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Question, how many of us presently in a dark season want the devil to flee? All of us, right? Here's something to remember. The fastest way to never see the devil flee is to agree with him. It's one thing for the devil to lie to me. It's another thing for me to agree with the devil's lie. Amos 3 verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Let me show you the other side of that coin. Preston, you don't have to worry about walking with the enemy, experiencing the darkness. When you don't agree, when you disagree with the lies of the enemy. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? One of the fastest ways to make the darkness darker is to agree with the lies you're hearing from the voices in the darkness. You have to fight. Not just to stand in the truth, but to refuse to agree with the lies. Because when I believe the lies of the king of darkness. I am giving legal right to dial up that darkness even darker. We must not agree with the lies who come from the father of all lies. Here's another one you might not see coming. Here's a way to make the darkness darker by hating your brother. This is kind of scary. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
Is it a darkness issue? Yeah. Is it bigger than that? Mm -hmm. It's a hate of his brother. It's a hate your sister. Hating someone God loves always makes the darkness darker. I know it feels good for your flesh to hate them right now. But can I tell you, your hate for them is wreaking havoc on your life. See, Satan is trying to convince you that your hate for them is like a security blanket which comforts you and that hate will keep you from ever being hurt by them ever again. Listen to me, it's okay to be hurt. It's not okay to hate. Hurt is something that happens to us as humans. Hate is a choice. Hurt is a guarantee in a fallen world. Hate is a choice we make in response to the pain of a fallen world. Hate makes the darkness darker. That brings us to the last question. Look at you. This is already, I believe, the longest solo we have ever had. If you made it this far, I love you so much. Those that didn't make it, I love them too. I love all y'all. Here's question number six, our last one. Press, let's get to it. Let's get to the really important stuff. How do I overcome the darkness? This is where we're going to pin our shoulders back and get a little bit of that spiritual swagger that comes with the spirit of God. How do I overcome the darkness? First, walk with the light. John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Preston, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, a lot of people probably think that I want to be intimate with God because I love him. Sure. I mean, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. The nearer I am to the light, capital L, the further I am from the terrors of the darkness. But after I battled that spirit of fear for a couple of years, it changed the way I saw intimacy with God. And I remember the day the Lord taught me. He goes, Preston, what do your children do in the middle of the night when they have a terrible dream? I said, they run to daddy's bed. He goes, mm-hmm. That's life with the light. You sleep better when the light of life is in the room. Walking with the light causes a swagger which puts out the fire of fear. I only get afraid when I forget how close the light stands to me. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light. I'm not going to be afraid. But Preston, this darkness is so dark. I can't even see Jesus at all in this darkness. I know it might feel like that. But it's not actually true. Let me show, show you how bright this bright light of ours, capital L, Jesus is. First Timothy 6, verse 15 and 16. 
For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so bright and brilliant that no human can approach him. This is why man can't see God. He is light. You think the sun is bright? On a, on a sunny day with no clouds, we can hardly stare into the sun for, for seconds without our eyes aching. Imagine if you got closer. Imagine if you stood right next to the sun. Maybe it would burn you up. Not only could you not see it. Okay, God is light. The sun isn't light. It provides light. God is light. Walk with the light. You want to overcome the darkness? We best be walking with the light. Intimate proximity and fellowship with the God who came to save us. Here's the next thing we do if we want to overcome the darkness. We overcome the darkness by rebuking in the name of the Lord. Rebuking the enemy in the name of the Lord. For a simple definition, the King James Dictionary says rebuke means to reprimand, to strongly warn, to restrain. Some of us, when we hear the word rebuke, we think it just means a, a firm response back. Now, it also means to restrain. Now, why don't we say, Satan, I rebuke you? Okay, I'm going to teach you this, but we don't say, Satan, I rebuke you. We say, the Lord rebuke you. Acts chapter 19, verses 13, 13 through 16 say, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise, we exercise you by the Jesus who Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on was in leaped on them overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out the house naked and wounded okay i know it's a long passage here's the picture they were kind of throwing around jesus name without being in relationship but they were emphasizing themselves we see here's how we rebuke the enemy i don't even say i rebuke you in the name of jesus that's essentially what we just read Here's what we say, the Lord rebuke you. Now, let me show you where we get this from. Because when we think about the Lord rebuke you, many of us go to the book of Jude and Michael, the archangel, saying the Lord rebuke you. We're going even higher up the spiritual food chain than Michael, the archangel. Zechariah chapter three, verses one and two. Then he showed me, Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. The Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Okay. This, this is teaching us. I, I don't ever say, and, and listen, a lot of people running around trying to speak to Satan. I'm not personally engaging with Satan. I speak to the Lord. And I say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
I look at the Lord. I'm not getting captivated by the Lord's enemy. All right? But Scripture also teaches us, hey, Preston, it's not your authority in and of yourself. It's the authority of Christ. So when we want to overcome darkness, one of the things I say when I feel that darkness sweeping in, I just begin to say out loud sometimes over and over and over again, fixing my eyes upon the one who is seated at the right hand of the father who is not getting off that throne. I would just say out loud when the enemy's picking on me, the Lord rebuke you. Whatever's coming against my child, the Lord rebuke you. Whatever's trying to bring in this darkness over me, the Lord rebuke you. One of the ways we overcome darkness is to rebuke the enemy in the name of the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. Next thing we do to overcome the darkness, not going to be a surprise when we said we make the darkness darker by walking in darkness, then obviously the other side of the coin. What do we do if we want to overcome the darkness? Walk in the light. It's not enough just to not walk in darkness. We must walk in the light. This is why Jesus said when somebody gets free, the house is empty. That's the equivalent of getting the darkness out, not walking in darkness. That's not enough. House has to be filled back up with the light, with the life of one walking with the light of life. Ephesians 5, 8 through 12 says, For you were once darkness, not in darkness, Preston, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. I love verse 12. It's shameful to even speak of those things. I am to have such a distant association, such a far away association with the works of darkness. And I am to be in such close proximity to the works of light that I'm to remember it's shameful to even talk about that trash. All right. If you want to overcome the darkness, not saying it's easy, but the principle is simple. Walk in the light. All right. Here's the next one. All right. If you want to overcome the darkness, um, well, well, let me, let me go just a, a touch further. I know we're already long, but I, I don't want to move past this. Okay. I, I was about to just hurry through. Uh, but if you're stuck, let me read this out of passage out of Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14 says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's what walking in the light looks like. You rest better physically by sleeping in the dark, but you rest better spiritually by living in the light. The deeds of the darkness 
are never worth the dangers which come in the darkness. And the safety of the light is always worth every sacrifice the light, capital L, asks you to make. Here's uh, a, a quick one that you might not see coming. If you want to overcome the darkness, the Bible says walk in wisdom. Daniel 12 verse 3, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. You don't want to dance in the darkness? Walk in wisdom. Let me say it bluntly. Doing dumb stuff just makes it easier for the darkness to get darker. Dumb makes the dark darker. Yelling at your spouse, manipulating someone at work, doing dumb stuff, stuff you know is wrong. Just being dumb, dumb, my dumb makes the darkness darker. Dumb is always headed towards the dark and wisdom is always headed towards the light. And I thought to wrap up the sixth question, since I've used so much scripture, I would show you my why. You want to overcome the darkness? Read in the light. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to over overcome the darkness? Get in that book. Carry it around. Get in it. Breathe the life that comes out of it. Shine the light that illuminates from it. Can't tell you how many times when I felt the darkness was closing in on me, I would, I would get on YouTube and just have a version of the audio Bible reading scripture over me all night long. You want to overcome that darkness? Get in that book. His word is a lamp into our feet, even in the darkest of places. All right. Let's wrap up our time together. Uh, and this is especially, I know if you made it almost an hour and 45 minutes in this conversation, I already know it's because most likely you are presently in darkness. All right. And it's closing in. Faster and faster, darker and darker. I want to close with a couple more verses just to pass on to you what I believe God passed on to me. I felt like he wrote it on my heart and I'm writing it on a, a post-it note. I'm writing it on this, this piece of paper and putting it in a bottle and sending it your way. If you are up under darkness, let us stand on these truths together. John chapter one, verses four and five says, in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And watch this. Let's believe this together because it is true. And the darkness has not overcome the light that is Jesus. What are the first words the God of the universe spoke in Genesis chapter one that we have on record? Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Right now, in the midst of your darkness, you need to hear the God of the universe saying the exact same words when he brought everything into existence, which was not in existence until he spoke it. He first said, let there be light in your darkness. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 reminds us for God who said let there be light in the darkness 
has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't care how dark it seems in your world right now. I am, by the power of the Spirit, I believe, prophesying and reminding you of the truth of God simply by saying, let there be light. And so we're going to pray. And, and if, you're, if you made it to the end of this episode and, and you're not presently battling the darkness, I want you to join in prayer for our brothers and sisters. Join me right now. And if you are up under that darkness, I want you, Spirit of the living God, I pray you would just move in right where they are. I believe you've been doing it this entire episode and I know it went long, and I, but I know you asked it to go this distance, not because of a length of time, but because the roadmap needed the steps, not just to understand the darkness, but to see the path to overcoming the darkness. Our God reigns and he has conquered death, hell, the grave, and all the darkness. And our God is the one who says, let there be light. God, I pray over my brothers and sisters who are up under the darkness. The enemy is trying to devour them in. Spirit of the living God, would you blow right now? Would you blow the breath of God over my brothers and sisters and cause the cloud of darkness to go out to the sea? Holy Spirit, would you come upon them? Jesus, you are with them. Holy Spirit, you are in them. Father, you've refused to leave them. No matter how dark the darkness has seemed. God, I pray you would set the captive free. I break and sever every word, curse, and spell spoken over my brothers and sisters, knowingly or unknowingly, in Jesus' name. I cancel every assignment, every demonic assignment from your enemy, O oh God, in Jesus' name. And I prophesy the light is breaking through and the darkness is running in fear. God, I come against the, the demonic spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. I come against the spirit of cutting in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. I come against the spirit of depression in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. God, we come against every foul spirit.
coming against us in Jesus' name. We say go. Now, God, as they are on the run, I pray over my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, would you bring a measure of conviction right now? Holy Spirit, would you point out the open doors in each of their lives? Those I spoke of and, and even those I did not mention. God, we say we repent. We shouldn't have hated that person ever, let alone so long. We should have forgiven that person. God, we repent for not forgiving. God, we repent of letting our eyes wander. God, we repent for dabbling in darkness. God, we repent for not walking in the light. We repent for not walking in your word. We repent for agreeing with the lies. We repent for walking in foolishness. Holy Spirit, would you empower each one of us to stand stronger than ever before with and in the light, no matter how much the darkness tries to invade. God, thank you for being the light, which is so bright no man can look upon it. May the light of life invade the room that two hours ago was dark. Jesus, will you light them up? Shatter their chains. Open blind eyes and push back the darkness. Holy Spirit, will you divinely enable each one of us as a result of these words from your word? Would you divinely enable us to stand even stronger against the darkness as we stand in the light the next time the darkness tries? to come at us. I love my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that you would tangibly visit each one of them right now, tomorrow, and in the days to come. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the light. In Jesus' name, amen. We did it. We made it. If you made it to the end of the episode without cheating, well done. I love you so much. I'm praying for you. This is war. This isn't some game. We don't need to be afraid, but we must always be aware. Take your place. Stand in the light. And the darkness will flee. I love you so much. I'll see you next week.